Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. WWE Money in the Bank reportedly to be held with fans in attendance. Injury updates around the world of professional wrestling, and I give you some of the greatest moments when the NBA and pro wrestling collided. I'm Jaden Becker, and welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast. Money in the Bank with fans in attendance. WWE announced on Sunday night that the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view will take place on Sunday, June 20th. The event usually takes place in October. It was previously reported that Money in the Bank would take place on June 20th itself, but WWE has made the decision to change that as of WrestleMania backlash in this recording. The Hell in a Cell announcement left the July 18th date open for Money in the Bank or Extreme Rules as it had previously been reported for Extreme Rules, but now it has been reported by Andrew Zarian of the Mat Men podcast that Money in the Bank will be held on Sunday, July 18th with fans in attendance. Now, take this with a grain of salt, but I believe this currently holds up as news and not a rumor given Zarian has been correct in the past with NXT moving to Tuesday night. So if anybody knows anything about scheduling, it's going to be Andrew Zarian and the Mat Men podcast because they've been right before so uh, I feel like it's right to at least continue with this trend if they're going to continue being right and have them be our schedule guys going forward (laughs) if you will all the stars line up for this as well given that WWE doesn't know where it's going to be in October for Hell in a Cell so why not get it out of the way now and stop worrying about shipping around the giant cell around the country and who's going to be able to hold up the giant cell and things like that Uh, might as well just get it out of the way now knowing that they can do it in the Thunderdome as it's currently constructed instead of having to ship it away also extreme rules can take its place in October given that it was dubbed the horror show last year remember how every pay-per-view had an extra name attached to it so this it was called extreme rules the horror show so yeah why not horror uh, you know October things like that they kind of work out I just wish the zombies were kind of in October why not that would have made things a lot more uh, sensical as well instead of Wrestlemania bas- backlash uh, but no better way to reintroduce a touring and fans going around into stadiums and things like that for professional wrestling events and at least for WWE events with Money in the Bank winners to get behind either a face or a heel I personally believe the Money in the Bank briefcase is a heel prop but if they do it right uh, they'll, they'll be able to continue with the uh, good baby faces like how they did in last year's Money in the Bank with Asuka and with uh, Otis, if you want to consider that a good Money in the Bank run, even though he lost it to The Miz. Uh, proving a good heel run there for The Miz uh, winning the WWE Championship. So uh, I think that it's a smart way to do it. Smart way to do it and, you know, wait till July. Uh, I think by then, uh, things will be a lot more vaccinated and, and people will be a lot more comfortable to go into stadiums. Because remember, we're not going into arenas here where it's outdoors like how it was for WrestleMania. You're trying to get back into arenas where it's all encapsulated. So uh, the the big hope for me is that they find their way to Barclays, they find their way to MSG, so I can get my way to <laughs> some professional wrestling events. Injury update around the world of professional wrestling. The Miz suffered a torn ACL during his zombie lumberjack match at WrestleMania backlash with Damian Priest. Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer explained that the Miz tore his ACL Sunday night. At the time of this recording, there's no word on how severe the injury is, but the Miz is likely to be out for quite some time and an ACL injury usually is around 7-9 to nine months. Obviously, never want to see someone get injured, but never a, a more timely a time to get injured if you are the Miz. Uh, a well-deserved break, given that he's been on camera week in and week out uh, on air for the, for the WWE forever, it seemed like, and also doing his reality show and uh, I believe 
uh, what was it the, the the game show he was doing also so he was he was doing so many things so well deserves break for the Miz and uh, also to be written off due to zombies in the process the zombies actually ended up helping in this case making uh, it a good reason why he's uh, not here a good reason is I guess take the word good with a grain of salt there as well but uh, there's a reason for him to be gone also on camera along with that injury as well so hopefully we see him around Royal Rumble time I think that's a good estimate maybe around around there seven to nine months uh, if I do my, my math correctly we'll see him around Royal Rumble time and maybe he makes his return then and uh, either a big pop or no pop but uh, I think people have a moderate relationship with the Miz they'll be okay and now in better news uh, Kip Sabian announced in a tweet that his surgery on his arm was a success Sabian was last seen on April 28th episode of AEW Dynamite where he was attacked by Miro backstage during the attack Miro slammed a door onto Sabian's arm riding him off while he got surgery on that same arm a timetable is currently unknown but AEW likes to stretch things out a bit when it comes to injuries and even when it comes to people to coming to AEW as a whole uh, they, they really like to take their time and wait for the right moment for them to return not just throw them back into the fire as soon as they can so uh, they, it's going to be as long as possible so expect to wait for Kip Sabian to return but Penelope Ford is still around of course we're going to get right into our show review for last night's Monday Night Raw but first let us thank our sponsor Manscaped who's the best in men's below the waist grooming Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels they obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide Manscaped has created the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawnmower 4.0. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. We have an exclusive offer for my listeners 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDE20 at manscaped.com. That is FANSIDE20 all caps at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Let's get into last night's episode of Monday Night Raw. This is my first Raw back watching live in, I believe, uh, two, three weeks. I've watched either every Raw I've watched previously has been recorded on my DVR or through uh, Hulu or through the network or whatever. Uh, I I haven't sat down and watched a live Raw without having to go through three hours of commercials, so this was definitely a tough watch. Not that the show was bad. There was actually a couple good matches in this show for uh, WWE, but just still so long. Three hours just hurt, man, especially if you're not paying for it, if it's not a pay-per-view. This it just hurts sometimes, but let's start things off. Bobby Lashley opening the show, enters with women down to the ring, and I believe those women were given to him by uh, MVP in some way, shape, or form, uh, as it was described in their in-ring conversation. Nice suit and nice shoes on Bobby Lashley as well. It's supposed to be a night of celebration, but MVP issues an open challenge for Bobby Lashley's championship, not in a way to hurt Bobby Lashley, but in a way to build him up, presume. Uh, Drew McIntyre, of course, enters, uh, but the open challenge does not uh, extend to Drew, as explained by MVP, and uh, has to stop a confrontation MVP does between Lashley and McIntyre. We'll see how this all goes down later in the night, as the open challenge is the main event of this episode of Monday Night Raw. Starting off to open the show for a match, AJ Styles versus Elias. Elias uh, is able to send Styles outside early on, and the tables turn on Styles, uh, with Styles connecting, uh, excuse me, Styles able to pick up the pace 
with a launch uh, to the outside of his own. A good back and forth with Styles uh, taking control after some uh, taunting from Elias. His physique is great, Elias. I'll never ever deny that. And I, I believe that WWE knows it. We know it. He looks a lot like Macho Man. They give him that top rope elbow drop and he he does it to a T. It's like he's been watching film on Macho Man his whole life. And it makes sense because he has the body to do it. And uh, I think he, he looks great every time he does that elbow drop. We didn't see it in this match, but I hope we get to see it. Uh, in the future, I have a tweet ready for it. If, you ever, if that time ever comes, follow me on Twitter, Jaden Becker TV. But I digress. Uh, Riker stops Styles from performing a phenomenal forearm, and Styles wins by disqualification. Elias runs away with Riker uh, from Omas, who was also standing ringside. Kind of a nothing match, but probably putting Elias and Riker in the Raw Tag Team title picture, even without a win here, uh, creates a feud and. Hopefully, not hopefully, but it'll probably lead to a match down the line. I just find it tough by how hard they, they've been pushing Omos, and it's not a bad thing here. Let me, let me uh, preface it with a point. It's not a bad thing here. I just find it a little difficult to figure out what they're going to do to get these belts off of AJ Styles and Omos, given how hard Omos has been pushed, because the only way for the belts to be taken off of them here are by AJ Styles being pinned because there's no way they're going to let Omos be pinned. Omos hasn't taken a bump yet in the in the Dave WWE and at least not in the main roster. So we haven't seen Omos take a bump yet. How are we going to expect him to get pinned? So probably going to see a Styles roll up, roll up somewhere down the line past SummerSlam most likely. They, they really like an Omos and I'm really like an Omos too because we haven't seen a big figure like this be built up in such a long time in such a dominant sense and, and not just immediately rushed like Commander Aziz is. Omos was cared for and nurtured for a long, long, long time by AJ Styles and WWE and making sure that he got over the right way. Commander Aziz has been moving very, very fast uh, into that standard, but Omos, I hold head and shoulders, no pun intended, above uh, everyone else when it comes to uh, how they built up a, a giant in recent years, so good on WWE there. Moving on to Bliss's Playground backstage segment, which uh, I guess this has turned into a talk show uh, segment, at least for this episode for Monday Night Raw. Bliss talking with Tamina and Natalia, the new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. Bliss and Lily, the Alexa Bliss's doll, if you will, acts odd, of course, as they, they're supposed to be. Uh, Tamina and Natalia, a little out of place here, especially Tamina, looking as if she has never, ever seen uh, something like this before. And I think that's the correct reaction to have if you're Tamina. Like, where am I and what am I doing? I just won a championship and now I'm in uh, some playground here. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. Bliss and Lily uh, for the tag team titles, possibly in the future. Put the, one of the tag team titles if you really, if if that's how much we care about this tag team division for the, the women's division. Uh, is that how much we care? We're gonna put it on a plush doll. Uh, that that would be a uh, that would be great to see on Twitter, wouldn't it? I hope the sarcasm delivers through my microphone here. But either way, uh, we'll see a match later on in the night with uh, Tamina and Natalia taking on Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler in a rematch. But that comes later on. Angel Garza versus Drew Gulak. I want to get into a little bit of something here with these two, but first let's run through the match. Uh, Gulak still mad about uh, Rose being shoved down his tights. Garza wins with the wing clipper and a pretty quick match. And Drew Gulak, I wouldn't say he was squashed, but I would say Garza definitely got the quick upper hand and the quick victory. I know it might sound crazy. I know I might sound like an absolute madman here, 
But both of these guys, Angel Garza and Drew Gulak, have U.S. title potential, especially Gulak. And Gulak, you have to remember something. Gulak was on the road to success with Daniel Bryan before Bryan was forced to go into the Intercontinental title picture when Sami Zayn left vacating the title, leaving Gulak to fight for the 24-7 title. Gulak was on a path to success with Daniel Bryan. I felt like they were doing something so great there where Daniel Bryan was given back in a sense uh, of uh, these coaches type of idea uh, with Gulak being that coach towards Daniel Bryan. I feel like it was such a great idea and it had to be pushed away to the wayside because of COVID, because Sami Zayn uh, decided to go away. I can't really knock Sami Zayn for that, but WWE had to adjust on the fly and the person that got the brunt of that, the, the bad half of that, was Drew Gulak. And it's an absolute shame absolute shame because we all know his in-ring technical ability can go toe-to-toe with anyone in the WWE in my opinion. He's able to perform moves and perform at least in a technical capability next to anyone in the WWE. So uh, for him to be pushed to the wayside for as long as he has, and now hopefully this will push him up in a direction that at least is away from the 24-7 title and maybe closer to the United States title opportunity, uh, that that would be great to see for Drew Gulak, at least future down the line in the next few months. Same thing with Angel Garza. I think he's great as well. His in-ring ability has been second to none, and I think he's been absolutely phenomenal. He has great charisma. His pants thing, his pants gimmick is pretty cool too as well. The only problem is that he had to get pushed to the wayside as well due to uh, Andrade being pushed to the wayside and pushed out of the company, and Zelina Vega being pushed out of the company as well. So for, for him to catch that brunt along with it, I'm surprised that neither of these guys are, are out of the company as well, but they stuck to and they stuck through. And uh, for both of these guys, I, I really pray. I, you got to pray because we know they had the technical in-ring ability to match up toe-to-toe with anyone in the WWE. And they just haven't gotten their opportunity yet. And I, I want that to be recognized. I really, really want that to, to be recognized. That how close both of these guys were to stardom back in 2020. And especially Drew Gulak. He had something really going for him. Especially being matched up with Daniel Bryan. You couldn't ask for anything better. Now, for him to be matched up with the 24-7 title. And that conversation for, for how, how it was throughout the winter of December and, and, and early 2021. It just wasn't a great look it just wasn't a great look because we all knew in the back of our mind like Gulak's really good Gulak had something there for him so I really give him a lot of a lot of credit for sticking through and and both for both of these guys both both Garza and Gulak you really really wish for the best Tazawa wins the 24-7 title the turntables tables turn very cash money if you will for Akira Tazawa to win another 24-7 title uh our truth being the one rolled up and pinned there Hopefully next week we'll see our truth win it back. I, I, I need to hear your thoughts, so hit me up on Twitter, Jaden Becker TV, and let me know, is the 24-7 title over with? I think this might be a good uh, podcast episode as a whole. It's like, are, are we done with the 24-7 title? Do we still need it? Is it still uh, going forward? Is it giving people TV time? Is it just a waste of time in a three-hour episode of Raw? Uh, is that even possible to waste time? In a th- I guess yeah, it definitely is. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me retract that, but... Yeah, are, are we sick of the 24-7 title? I'm not yet, but I think you, some of the viewers might be. So let me know, Jaden Becker TV, if, if you're feeling sick of it. Moving on to our next match, Randy Orton with Riddle taking on Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. Match made earlier in the night in a great backstage segment between these four. Big 2009 vibes here. My childhood being brought back into full effect with Randy Orton taking on Kofi Kingston. And I even posted a picture on my Twitter as well of uh, the, their TLC match uh, 
card, if you will, uh, of them two, Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston. I thought that was pretty funny. Kingston beating up on Orton early on. An eye poke by Orton turns it around. Orton taunted and distracted by Xavier Woods' trombone, allowing for Kingston to roll up Orton and win. Riddle pushes down Xavier Woods after the match uh, in a moment of confrontation. Awesome hint at the future for Riddle, as Riddle can possibly turn heel with Randy Orton, as Randy Orton is teaching him the ways of the Viper, if you will. Uh, I really like this dynamic. I'm in love, absolutely in love with RK-Bro, because it's a metaphoric for, for real life, and how things were for Randy Orton when he was young in the WWE, young, naive, uh, doing stupid things. As we all seen the documentaries about Randy Orton and the interviews that he's had on Stone Cold's podcast and everything like that. Randy Orton just saying he, he was pretty much a mess the early parts of his WWE uh, career, given the fact that he was a natural heel and just uh, honestly a natural jerk in real life. If you want to call it that, I, I'm not saying that in a mean way, but that that's just the way he best pre- presents himself. And for him to be portrayed as a babyface on TV, it didn't help. It didn't help at all. So uh, for Riddle, I feel like we can argue that could be a similar situation, especially for what we saw in NXT. So uh, it's fair to argue both. What I will say is this, the dynamic pairing here does nothing but help Riddle because once you get paired with some guy like Randy Orton, Randy Orton one of the greatest of all time, it automatically boosts up your value as well if you're Riddle. He'll continue to grow and grow and grow, already has that United States Championship run and will continue to have future runs down the line. There's no question about that. Randy Orton, I assume, down the line future as well. We'll have uh, his final match against John Cena <laughs> somewhere down the line. I don't know if that makes you cringe or makes you laugh. Uh, but I think it makes me laugh. But Either way. And also, one more point. Randy Orton's having a blast. There's no way Randy Orton wouldn't be doing... Randy Orton wouldn't be involved in the tag team division at the moment, as it currently stands, if it wasn't under his own will. Do you think at this point, and the career and the tenure that Randy Orton has, he pretty much has, I wouldn't call creative control, but he he has a good amount of say on what he wants to do with his career, whether that's still continuing to be involved in the WWE title picture, but now looking for an obvious change, as he did that throughout all of 2020, and all the stuff that he did with The Fiend in 2020 as well, now finding his way in a completely different path, and honestly separating himself from what he did in 2020, uh, which is both good and bad. Uh, what I will say is that he he's definitely enjoying his time in the tag team division because there's no way that he would be doing it if he wasn't. So for him to be with Riddle and to be feuding with the New Day and for them to be feuding over something that's not a championship belt, which we've seen New Day do in the past with Retribution, which I thought was great because you know, there's no reason why everything has to be about a belt. Uh, for Randy Orton and... and and um, Riddle to be teamed up like this and to be feuding over things that aren't championships and just to be living life, if you will, in the tag team division and honestly impressing on how both of them are performing. Uh, I couldn't ask for anything more from them too as they're doing a fantastic job. Moving on to our next match, Natalia and Tamina versus Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler. This is for the WWE Tag Team Championships as Natalia and Tamina are trying to retain in their rematch against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Uh, Tamina enters on a hot tag early on, but is tossed to the side by Nia Jax. It's great to see Tamina honestly take those big bumps against Nia Jax because she's the only person that they can do those types of move against uh, each other like that. Tamina locked into a Carefoot Clutch and Bliss enters with Lily causing a fireball to shoot out of the ring post. Had to make sure I read that right here because last night was kind of a blur when it came down to that match because everything happened so fast. A uh, heart attack for Tamina and Natalia to pick up the win and retain. So 
What I'm guessing here is that Alexa Bliss has a problem with Shayna Baszler. Not Nia Jax, but Shayna Baszler. It's a little odd, only because I you have to assume now that Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler aren't going to be a tag team for much longer. I, I want to see Nia Jax get back into a title picture for at least a top title picture, given that she pinned both the Raw and SmackDown champions in one week back in, uh, what was that? Back before WrestleMania, I believe that was. So I want to see Nia Jax get back into the women's title picture. Shayna Baszler, I think she could have a great feud with Alexa Bliss. And Natalya and Tamina continued their uh, women's tag team title run. So it all makes sense there. It just it was a little odd trying to figure out who Alexa Bliss was actually feuding with. Is Alexa Bliss trying to go for a title or is she not? And now I think it's all fair to settle and say that she is not going for the tag team titles and not going for even a Raw Women's Championship. She is going for Shayna Baszler at the moment, uh, which it took me, I I needed to uh, digest that because it took me a minute to even realize what was going on because Alexa Bliss has made this uh, quite confusing, if you will, but much things are confusing with the WWE. Moving on to a fantastic match, Sheamus versus Ricochet. Ricochet has stolen Sheamus' jacket and hat. Looks absolutely hilarious. Ricochet, I'll get into uh, that a little bit more at the end of my Raw review. Because it, it coincides with something else uh, with the Drew McIntyre. Ricochet making the most of his opportunity granted to him since uh, Humberto Carrillo got injured. Ricochet dumped to the outside and to the timekeeper's area early on this match. But Ricochet keeps on fighting back after breaking out of the Dublin smile and a huge top rope Spanish fly. Looked absolutely fantastic. Uh, Ricochet with a top rope cross body onto the floor onto Sheamus. Another huge spot in this match. And then Sheamus kicks out of a springboard 450 spot. Splash, a uh, little bit of a shame to see that, given that that is uh, such a big move for Ricochet, but, uh, you know, Sheamus is a champion. Ricochet is rocked with a knee to the face, similar to the Adam Cole super kick uh, that we see on TikTok all the time. Uh, Ricochet with the knee to the face, taking that now, but surprisingly he kicks out, and then a bro kick to win, uh, for Sheamus to win, but Ricochet finally looking like Ricochet. We haven't seen Ricochet look like Ricochet for the, uh, has it been over a year now? <laughs> When's the last time we've seen Ricochet actually look like what uh, WWE brought him in to, to look like, to, to be that superstar flying through the sky, Rey Mysterio-esque uh, legend, you know? It, Ricochet really has some in-ring ability that a lot of other people can't really stand up with given his high-flying stuff. But you really think about it. We haven't seen Ricochet be that in a long, long, long time. And you got to give credit to Ricochet here for looking fantastic in this match. Kicking out of that knee strike made him look so strong. And even though he loses this match, I think he comes out of this one the victor. I love Sheamus as much as the next guy as well because Sheamus has, in his previous two feuds, whether it's been with Drew McIntyre, they put on a couple fantastic matches, and now Sheamus putting on a feud uh, with Ricochet and putting on a match here that was also fantastic. Sheamus has been putting on some quality stuff here as the United States Champion. So a lot of people were worried when he became the United States Champion that, oh, we we want to see the new guy get promoted. Well... Uh, the, the new guys are going to have to go through Sheamus, but Sheamus is putting on good matches as well. So uh, it, it's great for, for everyone all around in the sense that the new guys are going to get a big boost beating Sheamus throughout as Sheamus has proven to be a worthy champion and a worthy uh, person to be taken down, a, wor- a worthy villain, if, if that's the correct way to state it. 
and I'll, I'll talk about Rick, Ricochet a little bit later. Not really Ricochet's fault, it's more WWE's fault, when, when is it not? But I'll talk about Ricochet a little bit later, and uh, the stolen items that he, he uh, took from, from Sheamus. Asuka versus Charlotte Flair, another great match, back and forth early on. Rhea Ripley enters for a closer look uh, early on this match as well. The back and forth continues as these two are very evenly matched. The two trade submission attempts and pinfalls. Action falls outside in front of Rhea Ripley. Ripley booted off of the apron by Flair, but then Asuka rolls up Flair after a figure four attempt. Uh, you can be mad at Flair all you want, but she's at the top of these women's women's division for a reason. Uh, you know, we, we talked about her being the 13-time champ in the last episode of the Daily DDT podcast. A lot of people are upset because she is being. Uh, overused or you know i remember the joke was that she was the omni flair no matter what you always saw charlotte flair she was on every episode she was on raw nxt and smackdown no matter what and uh, i just think that wwe continues to think and i still continue to, th to think that the raw women's division and the women's division as a whole runs through charlotte flair you know doesn't matter who the champion is rhea ripley oscar whoever doesn't matter who it is. You have to go through Charlotte Flair first, whether she is the champion or not, because she is the, the, the bar. She is the reason why. She is the main reason in my heart that the women's division now is what it is. It wouldn't be anything without Charlotte. It wouldn't be anything without Bailey. It wouldn't be anything without Banks. It wouldn't be anything without Lynch, the four horse women. And WWE loves to push the four horsewomen. I know that. I know that very, very well. You know, Becky Lynch obviously sidelined due to pregnancy. Bailey has been used to the best of her ability, but still did end up going against Bianca Belair in WrestleMania Backlash. Sasha Banks has been off TV since WrestleMania, so it's not like they've been around that that often, you know. And Charlotte Flair was even off the WrestleMania card as a whole, so you can't really be too mad when she's fighting her way back into a title picture at this point when she was completely taken off the biggest stage where she could have been shoved down our throats for that title picture but she wasn't then now she's building her way back so uh, i still think as i said before i'll say it again women's division runs through charlotte and it'll continue to run through charlotte for as long as she is in the wwe moving on damian priest versus john morrison in a lumberjack match thank goodness there are no zombies in this one but uh, one of the Lumberjacks is Nikki Cross making her return to the uh, WWE and uh, WWE programming as uh, Nikki Cross has been off TV for quite some time. Priest tossed to the outside and is brutalized early on and Priest is tossed outside a good amount of times throughout this one. Uh, Tazawa was thrown into the ring and he is the 24-7 champion but nothing happened so it was pretty odd. I felt like a spot was missed there. Priest dives to uh, dives onto the previous members of Retribution, Mace and T-Bar. Uh, Cedric Alexander dives onto Shelton Benjamin as the match starts to break down, and then a superplex onto most of the Lumberjacks on the outside. Priest wins with Hit the Lights. Not a great match, but at least there were no zombies. And uh, I wonder what's next for Priest. He after the match, he said that he wants to challenge Bobby Lashley in his open challenge. Uh, he did not do that later on in the night, but uh, I, I still can. Everyone was saying that throughout the night, like, "Oh, I'm going to be the one to to go up against uh, Bobby Lashley for the open challenge." Everyone was saying that, but he wasn't the one to do it. And uh, I also want to bring up a point. I. When I think about keeping people out of the ring in those type of matches, I think of steel cage matches. So can we bring back some more steel cage matches? I, I know it's a good treat and, 
you know, steel cage matches, sometimes they don't want to overuse them because they could be very, very valuable. But I feel like the match between The Miz and Damian Priest could have been best served with the steel cage match because either he keeps on trying to run away or uh, John Morrison keeps on trying to interfere. The steel cage is phys a physical barrier that is not... Uh, person, it's not lumberjacks, and they're definitely not zombies. You know, they could have done that steel cage match type of idea, where I felt like that would have worked out to the best of their ability. Or even, even the, don't don't crucify me here for saying this, but if they want wanted to extend it to Hell in a Cell, that also would have done the same idea and would have ended the feud there, moving Damian Priest up to new heights. And I felt like that probably could have been a smarter idea, given Miz is a former WWE two-time WWE champion, and you beat the Miz in a steel cage. In, in, at least in maybe in Hell in a Cell, you end the feud there, and then Priest moves on to a title picture situation, and uh, gets out of the feud with the Miz, and Miz gets his time off, injury or no injury, I feel like that would have been the best for the Miz, but either way, moving on to the main event, Bobby Lashley's open challenge, and drumroll please, the person is Kofi Kingston, of all people, Kofi Kingston is the one to enter, and uh, I was a little disappointed, especially if earlier in the night, Kofi Kingston not only had a match, he had a singles match earlier on in the night, and against Randy Orton, so that's a pretty big match on its own, for him to get both matches, both of the biggest matches of the night, uh, that that's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy that Kofi Kingston got both. One against Randy Orton and then one against Bobby Lashley. Uh, however, this match was changed at the last second to not be for the WWE Championship by MVP, saying that uh, Kofi Kingston had to earn it. So either way, uh, Lashley was upset that Kofi Kingston was the one to come out and call uh, the challenge. And I think I was too. I go across Twitter and I think a lot of people were okay with it and they're happy about it. I'm just a little mad that... You know, we already seen this story be told. We already seen Kofi Kingston win the WWE Championship. It was already such a big moment. It already happened, right? Kofi Mania was so big for it to happen again in, in a similar light of a, oh, it's a comeback story type of similar light. It, it kind of irks me in some way, shape, or form. Now, if he did it again in a heel sense, that could be pretty cool as well. I think that would be a smarter way to go at it, but there's no way they turn Kofi heel way too much money that they make off a New Day t-shirt, so no way they're ever going to do that, but I'm just talking from a storyline narrative perspective. The only way Kofi Kingston wins the WWE Championship again if he's a bad guy. That's the only way I see it. Kofi with plenty of comeback spots throughout the match. Woods sent to the back trying to assist uh, Kofi Kingston here in this one. With the ref distracted, sending Woods to the back, Drew McIntyre enters and attacks Bobby Lashley with the cane of MVP, allowing Kingston to roll up and win and beat the WWE champion Bobby Lashley. So Kofi Kingston gets two victories over uh, two... All right, let me, as I should I say, two roll-up victories over two of the top guys in WWE at the moment, Bobby Lashley and Randy Orton, in one night. So assume that Kofi Kingston's getting a WWE title opportunity coming up soon, possibly on the next episode of Monday Night Raw, as uh, Bobby Lashley should win that match in dominant fashion. But uh, WWE continues to build up uh, their baby faces in such weird ways. I will, I will continue to continue to say that. As uh, I want to go back now and talk about Ricochet for a little bit as well. At least what they're, what they're doing with their baby faces. And this is outside of Kofi Kingston. This is more to do with Drew McIntyre and uh, Ricochet. What, what, did, what were those two actions that just happened on, on, a, on a piece of paper? On, on paper, what happened? Someone stole another person's articles of clothing. Correct? And the person that got this clothing stolen is rightfully mad about it. Because they're 
personal belongings were stolen. So, obviously, Ricochet is doing a heelish type of thing, but is being cheered for it. Very odd. Very odd. I think a lot of people agree that that is an odd thing to do. You know, I want to cheer for you, but yet you're doing things that I shouldn't be cheering for you to do. What had happened in the main event of last night's Monday Night Raw? Drew McIntyre attacks the WWE champion, Bobby Lashley, with a, a foreign object, not with a fist or anything like that, with a foreign object, causing him to lose the match. That is a heelish type of thing to do. Bobby Lashley, obviously and rightfully upset that he got screwed there in, in that way uh, by being attacked. And uh, same, same thing with uh, why is Xavier Woods trying to interfere in a match? You know, why, why is he being tossed out? That's a heelish type of thing. That is a heelish thing to happen to heelish characters, not to babyfaces. So WWE continuing to work in that way. It's very, very odd. And I'm starting to recognize it now. I saw it before in the past, but I sort of took it off the chin. But now that it was shoved down my throat three times in one episode of Monday Night Raw, that's the only thing that sort of knocked me the wrong way, is that these baby faces are sort of being built up as heels, but yet they're being cheered for it, you know? It's just something that doesn't sit right with me. And it's not really in an anti-hero sense. It's not really in a Stone Cold Steve Austin sense in that way, where the bad guy is getting their comeuppance. It's just the bad guy is just getting like bullied by the good guy it makes no sense it's very very odd very very odd but either way final grade for monday night raw last night going with the c plus ah nope i'm gonna take that back going with the b minus because those two matches were really good uh between uh ricochet and sheamus and between uh charlotte flair and oscar those two matches were really really good especially the sheamus and and ricochet match that that really impressed me so that that boosts boosts it up from a c into a b why not not definitely nowhere near a, a b b or b plus status where everything blew me away but uh, those matches were very very good and and i'll take that gladly gladly all right we're going to take a quick break but when we come back i'm going to be talking about pro wrestling and nba when they've collided in the past and uh, what's going on right now in the nba as well so stick with us right here on the daily ddt podcast on this day in pro wrestling history, on May 18th, 2009, WWE and the NBA hit an impasse regarding the May 25th date at the Pepsi Center. The originally scheduled Raw was running up against what would be the fourth game of the NBA Western Conference Finals series against the Los Angeles Lakers and the Denver Nuggets. Vince McMahon was so headstrong at the time to run the show. Previously, he vowed that he would hold the event in the parking lot if need be. This culminated with WWE being moved to Los Angeles instead of being in Denver given that uh, the Lakers obviously not playing in Los Angeles given that they were supposed to play in Denver. So uh, it also culminated in a match happening with uh, a Team Lakers versus Team Nuggets, a 5 on fun a tag team match on Monday Night Raw. Both teams being composed of wrestlers. I remember Cena was involved, Batista was involved, I think The Miz was involved, I think, I could be wrong, but... Uh, that, that that was such a huge day in my childhood, remember 2009, around, right, right around my prime of professional wrestling. And uh, obviously then I was rooting for the WWE. And uh, even now, maybe I, uh, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> even now, if, it was a, if there was a scheduling issue like that, I don't even know what side I would be rooting for at this point. Because uh, WWE <laughs> uh, has, has found a couple other places where they could land as well. 
But uh, what, a, what an odd dang and what a better segue. And I couldn't have found a better time or a better segment to do this. But uh, with the NBA playoffs starting today, uh, let's do some pro wrestling and NBA collisions. Uh, I myself, I am a Knicks fan. I will try my best to keep an eye on both pro wrestling and the Knicks first round series against the Hawks. Shout out to Daily Knicks and a good friend at Ithaca College, Jeremy Goldstein, who also works for Daily Knicks as well over on Fansided. Got to keep the Fansided connection strong as, as always. Go check out some of his work and some of the work uh, with uh, Daily Knicks. With the NBA playoffs about to tip off, here are five times the NBA and pro wrestling have collided. Starting off strong with Dennis Rodman. Rodman made his WCW debut in March of 1997 by joining the NWO. Mind you, this was during the NBA season when Rodman was with Michael Jordan and the uh, dynastic Bulls, if you will, the dynasty of the Chicago Bulls. Robin would usually wrestle for WCW during the summer, given it didn't interfere with the NBA season. Uh, the Atlantis ca- character of Dennis Robin would, however, cause one of the craziest moments in sports history as Robin skipped practice during the NBA Finals and got on a plane for WCW Monday Nitro at the Palace in Auburn Hills in Michigan. That night on Ni- Nitro, Robin hit Diamond Dallas Page in the back with his steel chair setting up a tag team match that would happen in July at Bash at the Beach. Who might be in that tag team match, you ask? Well, no other than other NBA star, Carmelo. Less than a month later, Rodman and Hogan defeated Carmelo and Diamond Dallas Page at Bass at the Beach, a WCW pay-per-view that earned the, the, one of the best buy rates in WCW uh, history. This made a perfect sense given Carmelo and Dennis Rodman not only played each other in the NBA Finals that year, but they also guarded each other in that Finals as well. They were direct matchups of one another, both being at the uh, power forwards position. Carmelo, one of the greatest power forwards of all time, period. Dennis Rodman, one of the greatest rebounders of all time, period, as well. You know, both the uh, Hall of Famers and both top of their class when it comes to the NBA. And for both of them to find their way into professional wrestling at the time of WCW, especially for Rodman to make his way over to WCW in the literally the playoffs of, uh, of not the playoffs, the NBA Finals, of of the Chicago Bulls uh, final finals run, uh, mind boggling, mind boggling. I, I could only imagine if Steph Curry today, or uh, let's let's think of someone that's going to be in the finals this year. Uh, Julius Randle. And <laughs> let me talk about my Knicks. If Julius Randle this year decided to go over to uh, WWE or AEW and do some matches, that would be absolutely insane, insane. Moving on, let's talk about some uh, players that that actually wrestled in a wrestling ring, but how about we're, we're retired at the time? They, they, they were gone from the NBA. They've moved on. Shaquille O'Neal, I could do a whole episode of the Daily DDT podcast on Shaq and pro wrestling, and maybe when he makes his return to the wrestling ring, I will do that. But uh, let's go through just a couple moments here of Shaquille O'Neal's past with professional wrestling. In 2009, O'Neal was the guest host of the July 27th episode of a WWE Monday Night Raw. An, alterca- an altercation between Chris Jericho led to Shaq naming himself the special enforcer for the main event. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal going face-to-face with the big show. What a moment, what a visual that still sticks out in my mind. To this day, there are fans out there waiting for a one-on-one between Shaq and the big show. I don't think that day will ever come, but uh, we could always play that in a video game somewhere. Shaq also has a WrestleMania match to his name as an entrant in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. At WrestleMania 32 in Dallas, Shaq and the big show worked together to chokeslam Kane uh, in the middle of the ring. Uh, even though King Corbin, well, at the time Baron Corbin, would end up winning that battle royal, who cares? Big Shaq, doing big things in the WWE. 
Uh, also, can't go uh, throughout Shaq without mentioning what he did with AEW and his appearance in the mixed tag team match against Cody Rhodes. I've already talked about this on the podcast when it happened, like directly the day after it happened. So if you want my immediate emotions, you can look back. I believe that was in the middle of uh, March there. Uh, I've already talked about this, but uh, Cody Rhodes selling big for Shaq throughout this match and also Shaq taking a huge bump through two tables. It ended a little weird with Shaq disappearing from the ambulance, but I'm sure as long as Shaq and TNT and AEW and TNT are all together, uh, the two will reunite at some point down the line, uh, maybe in a year or two. Looking to now ownership of an NBA team, even though not a player and owner, Mark Cuban, uh, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and also on sh- a shark on Shark Tank that uh, kills WWE in the ratings every week. Uh, well, deservedly so. A Cuban has a few pro wrestling moments as uh, he was RKO'd by Randy Orton on the Survivor Series 2003 uh, that was provoked by Eric Bischoff. And also, uh, he was the guest host of Raw in December uh, of 2009 where he was put through a table by Sheamus. So, Mark Cuban able to take the big bumps, if you will, with the big boys in the WWE. Also, now, one of the bad moments to come from, uh, I guess you can call it basketball, coming from the NBA, the Ball family back in 2017. The Ball family were everywhere, from ESPN to Fox to now the WWE for... At that time in 2017, because LeVar Ball was at the peak of being a heel in the world of sports as the father to Lonzo and LaMelo Ball. Uh, LeVar Ball ending getting his son drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers, Lonzo Ball, and now LaMelo Ball in the league as well. LeVar Ball has gone off of TV as much as he used to be, but uh, at one point you could have gone three seconds without hearing what LeVar Ball was saying back in 2017. Sadly, didn't uh, things didn't go to plan for uh, the WWE as the Ball family were not very uh, appropriate on television, if I do say so myself, as a couple racial slurs would drop live on uh, television. You can go back on YouTube and go check that out because that's everywhere. But in good news for LaMelo Ball, right now he's on track to win the uh, NBA Rookie of the Year award as uh, he has impressed uh, head over head over heels for the mellow ball. He has been an absolute superstar. So I give him a ton of credit, but just not that great in the WWE. Even though I thought LeVar Ball probably would have been pretty fantastic as, a, as working on the microphone, the WWE, and he he was very outlandish and uh, he he did go all out. I will I, I will give credit to people that do go all out when they have their WWE moment or their professional wrestling moment because they know this is their one chance to grab that brass ring, seize the moment, and LeVar Ball sure seized the moment. But a few racial slurs by his kids there were not uh were not ideal to say the least not very good optics looking on to our next episode talking about some nxt tony storm versus zoe stark wwe hall of famer the million dollar man ted dibiase appears live to continue his storyline between himself and cameron grimes and nxt north american champion johnny gargano defends against bronson reed in a steel cage should be a fun one for nxt have to catch up on some nxt because i've been a little bit behind on that as well ever since i took some uh medical time off if you will but that's all for me remember to get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code fanside20 at manscaped.com that is fanside20 all caps at manscaped.com unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with manscaped you can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers make sure you subscribe on apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode and remember you can ask your smart device to play the daily ddt podcast if you like content like this check out our writers at dailyddt.com and if you want to hear more from me give me a follow on twitter and instagram at jaden becker tv i'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the daily DDT Podcast.